Hello and welcome to the Rare Disease Cell and Gene Therapy Weekly Roundup. Every week, we at Partners for Access discuss the major news developments impacting the rare disease and cell and gene therapy industry and what they mean for you. Hello everyone, I'm Jack Rawson and I'm here with Sophie Schmitz, Managing Partner. And today we're going to be talking about Nord and general updates in the cell and gene therapy space. So Sophie, I've heard you've been to the Nord Summit recently. What can you tell us about it? Yes, I was at the Nord Summit recently. It was last month in Washington. It's an annual event and a great event because it, you, you get a, a whole mix of, of industry and patients and advocates and payers. One of the things I was really interested in was the plenary discussion by Scott Godleib, who I think most of our listeners will know was the commissioner for the FDA for the past couple of years. He stepped down earlier this year and he talked about um, some of the challenges that are existing at the moment with Medicare coverage for cell and gene therapies and particularly was focusing on how changes are needed to optimise the true potential of transformative medicine and he, he was what he was referring to a lot was the um, uh, the decision a couple of months ago where CMS said okay well we, we will now cover uh, CAR-T therapies for Medicare beneficiaries and they also approved as well uh, an NTAP payment increase from 50% to 65% through to the end of next year and Scott's point was very much that well broad coverage policies are actually ineffective if we're not getting good reimbursement because what's happening still is that providers are being left to cover those um, therapies. So you know, whilst we have now the 65% coverage, those providers, those institutions are still having to cover the remaining 35% of the product cost. So, and, and we've already seen many of them being out of pocket. So it's a really inspirational presentation. Were there any other discussions that, uh, that you found interesting, Sophie? Yeah, there was a really great panel. Um, I particularly enjoyed this. I always like the ones where there's some, some hot debate. And uh, it was a, over gene therapy pricing. Um, and this was led by a, a few people. One of those was the Bluebird CEO, whose, whose perception and thinking is very much led by the fact that gene therapies, which are displacing expensive chronic therapies, which obviously, you know, talking to the, to the Bluebird pipeline, are cost effective. And this was opposed by Steve Pearson, President of ISA, who I think many of our listeners will, will be familiar with, who was really saying that cost effectiveness is one part and really what we need is a much better determination of value and, uh, and funding as well. There are also some other uh, panel members that were contributing to the discussion and talking about you know, the, the overall cost of medicines and proposing other things such as the use of biosimilars, for example, should we be using more generics and biosimilars in the US? P4A, I believe, did a, a lunch and learn there. What, what was this about? Yes, we did. We did a lunch and learn, and that was all about um, cell and gene therapy access. And we, what we were doing is we were focusing on the European experience and specifically talking about multi-stakeholder engagement to patient access. And it was really interesting because um, so there were a lot of American biotechs, American patient advocates in, in the audience that were trying to better understand the European marketplace. And I think it opened a lot of eyes in terms of the heterogeneity across Europe uh, and also the changing nature of the HTA environment too. So there's been lots happening in the in the EU environment recently. What do you think of the, the latest interesting bits of news that have happened? Do you know, if we look at approvals first, if we take that, there's been some very interesting events that have happened. And one of those is with Novartis in Italy um, with Kim Raya. And what they did, they agreed with IFA 
when I say agreed, I mean they work very collaboratively together with the Italian authorities in developing this agreement. And this is a new, this is almost like a landmark agreement really in Italy where they're focusing on payment at results rather than what we've always heard, which is the payment by results in Italy. And they are different. <laughs> Obviously, it's not just the word at and by that's different. Um, so, so the similarity is that the, the manufacturer still repays the treatment costs if the um, therapy is not uh, not working or it's non-responsive. But with the payment at results, there are three instalments that happen. So the first instalment is immediately when the patient engages in treatment. Then the second is whilst the treatment is ongoing. And the third, which is quite interestingly, is actually in the fifth year of survival for this particular agreement, fifth year of survival for the patient. So really talking about a much longer um, uh, agreement period. So do you think this reflects a, a change in, in the way evaluation of gene therapies is thought of generally within other HTA bodies, for example? Yeah, I, I do think it could be the start of some change. So we've already seen this year the SMC have changed their process. Now, they've changed their process for ultra-rare diseases, so they've got something different there. And, and that's very specific. It's not necessarily just for gene therapy, but that has actually opened up a slightly different way of, of working and evaluation. As well as NICE, we know that NICE and ISA are going through consultations. They're both going through consultations at the moment because they recognise that the, the methodologies are not appropriate. Remember, one of the things that I, I can mention is the recent approval of or the recent decision over Luxterna in Germany and this was really interesting because um, whilst the German authorities have exceptions as we know for orphan drugs one of the things I was very interested in was the GBA decision so that they gave considerable added benefit for Luxterna and for those of you who will know anything about the, the German approval system and the way that they evaluate one-arm study designs, typically it's relatively poorly. In this case, they still managed to get a considerable added benefit. And the two things that, that help them, and I think this is a change in, in the way that authorities are looking at uh, cell and gene therapies, is that the GBA did accept the um, post hoc analysis that was submitted. And, and this certainly helped in their evaluation. Um, and they also, as well, um, were supported by clinical experts during the oral hearing. And so they understand much more about the treatment complexity. And I think that that did give a different spin on it. There was also news of the SMC reversing its initial ruling on Kim Raya. I wonder what you thought about this. Yes, so this was also very interesting. Lots going on. Um, they did indeed. So <clears throat> Kim Raya in the news again. And... I think here this is a really good example of the PACE process that's used in um, in Scotland. So those people that are not familiar with this, PACE is the patient and clinical engagement process and it's the opportunity for uh, exactly that, patients and, and also clinical experts to be able to provide their opinion to really have a bigger and fuller picture of some of the issues. And so this was for the uh, decision for reimbursement for Kim Raya in the DLBCL um, indication. There were a few issues, but particularly the, the PACE meeting that was called specifically here. At that meeting, the ability of the patients and the clinicians to be able to get across the very poor prognosis, to be able to get across the uh, quality of life issues in that meeting, and also as well the life-saving effectiveness of, of the drug, let's face it, that actually overturned the original SMC uh, ruling. 
So it was very, very interesting the way that they used that stakeholder engagement. I saw the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine report came out this week. Any interesting news there? Yes. No, there, there were quite a few things in there that were, that were interesting. And, and for those of you who are not familiar, the ARM puts out some really good reports every quarter. Um, so the Q3 2019 report has just come out. And, and what they were talking about were a few things. So one was policy changes. Um, specifically around gene editing practices. And there are a few groups globally who've been calling for uh, some, some international guidelines, basically. So US senators have been calling for it. The World Health Organization has been calling for it. And also ARM as well. So they also as well highlighted various different um, clinical data that's come out. Um, so Haemophilia A, the, the Pfizer data there, and also Amicus data in Baton C's, and latterly as well the Gensite data as well that's come through for Elhon. So some good data coming through. And I think for, for me, the one thing I'm always fascinated about is the um, the number of clinical trials that are ongoing in, the, in this area for cell and gene therapy. Um, that they talked about, I can't remember the exact number, but over a thousand clinical trials, and of those, um, nearly 600 are in phase two, meaning we are about to enter a whole new world, um, really, of, of, of evaluation and funding. So what would you say that the main challenges are in assessing gene therapies? So that, um, there are many different challenges uh, associated with them. I think one of them is, is obviously that they are different you know, not all of the gene therapies are the same. We've got the, the novel breakthroughs, we've got the ones for a very small patient population where there is no unmet need, sorry, there was a very high unmet need and no alternative therapies. Um, so, so Strimvelis, for example. We've got the likes of um, the orphan disruptors, as they're called, where you do have standard of care treatments that are rather expensive, so haemophilia or SMA. Um, so even if we just take those two uh, subcategories, you can see that with the orphan disruptors, in theory, they should be cost-effective if they've got a uh, an expensive standard of care. So in theory, it should be um, much easier for those HDAs that have a cost-effectiveness focus to, to approve these therapies. Um, but what then happens when you're looking at the novel breakthroughs? What happens when you've got an extremely high unmet need, you've, you don't have any alternative therapies, and so therefore you've got a, a very small budget impact as well because we're talking about ultra orphans what kind of a, um, a difference should be made then and again especially when we're talking about ultra orphan um, diseases that there, there are typically extreme challenges with being able to build up a decent robust evidence base at launch and therefore you know when we're giving the promise of potentially lifelong curative therapy um, that has to come with some provisos, that has to come with a certain leap of faith from a payer perspective. Great, lots to keep an eye out for then. Certainly is. I'm sat here with our podcast guru, Aparna Krishnan, and wanted to ask a little bit about the WODC, which is the World Orphan Drug Congress meeting next week. And I, I'm sure that many people think that we live in a, a sea of conferences. This one is a particularly good one for the rare disease community. Partners for Access will be there, and so I'm keen to understand from Aparna what, um, what, what's happening. So tell me, what are P4A's plans at the event? Thank you, Sophie. I think uh, this year is going to be a really good year. And yes, you're right, WODC has a special place in our conference calendar every year. We do attend both the European one as well as the US one. 
the WDC conference itself, because of its scale and its focus on orphan drugs and gene therapy, has been particularly good in terms of not only thought leadership for Partners for Access, but also for business development and for its platform where we do meet our, most of our clients. So it is pretty special for us. This year, I think while last year there was just one segment which talked about cell and gene therapy, this year it's been all over the mm. conference agenda. Yeah, I've seen that too. And you know, there's been um, a lot of focus on not only cell and gene therapy, but also different sort of buzzwords are are being talked about. We talk, we're talking about ATMPs, we're talking about transformative therapies, mm-hmm. we're talking about different challenges um, associated with them. So yes, I think it's going to be a good conference. Excellent. So mm. tell me who's going to be there. Who's coming from the P4A team? Uh, yes. So we're going to be uh, a four-strong team uh, with yourself, as well as uh, myself. We also have uh, two senior members of our management one of our partners Akshay Kumar as well as an associate director Nicola Allen who's going to be joining us as well so also we are going to be on stand number 10. Um, So tell me you yourself what, what are you personally hoping to get out of the meeting? We also take conference seriously because we try to sort of launch something or talk about something in terms of thought leadership at these conferences. So this year, we're doing a couple of things. We are updating our uh, corporate brochure with some uh, new uh, segments in there where we're talking about the robust understanding of the evolving HDA environment for transformative therapies and how that is a major component of commercial success for today's manufacturers, especially in the cell and gene therapy arena. The second one word that we are talking about is a white paper that we are also bringing out and which would be the topic of discussion with at our roundtable conference on day one of the event, mm-hmm. uh, which is at 11.30. So this is about uh, cross-border healthcare and okay. what are the real challenges? How do we get across it? And uh, I'm hoping that uh, the panelists at that conference will, will come up with some uh, good set of solutions that we can then uh, share with you at the end of the the uh, WDC podcast, which will happen over the next couple of weeks. Excellent. And that's it for this week. For more news and analysis, do visit our website, www.partnersforaccess.com. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We welcome your feedback. Thanks for listening. See you next week.